everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about someone in the Bible who was isolated, kind of like we are now. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for listening. Our sermons have been listened to almost 20,000 times since last July 1st. That is a staggering number. And it's a number that represents a lot of people hearing biblical teaching and the gospel story. This only happens by people like you listening faithfully, but also leaving ratings and reviews and sharing with their friends. And so from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I appreciate you being with us each week and I appreciate you helping us take the message of Jesus and the story of the Bible further to more people. So once again, thank you. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to our online service. My name is Chad. I'm the pastor of Creekside, and I want to welcome you to my garage office and say thanks for being with us today on this Mother's Day. I am wearing a bow tie today, and I'm not making this up, that I found in our coat closet. We have no idea where it came from. In fact, when I said to my kids and my wife that it might have come off of one of the kids' toys, Bryn, my wife, said, yeah, that sounds about right. I think I was a little bit offended. But I figured since it was Mother's Day, it was an appropriate day to wear this newly found tie, and I want to wish all of you women at our church a happy Mother's Day, whether you are a biological mom, whether you are a spiritual mom, or whether you just function in a, as a positive female influence uh, to the people, especially the young girls in our church, I want to say thank you for that, and I want to wish you a happy, happy Mother's Day. I think that my sermon today is going to be really, really important for some of you. I almost moved this sermon to the beginning of the series because I think that there are certain people that really, really need to hear this. And I hope that you'll pay attention. I hope you'll stay with us. I hope you'll engage scripture this morning with me and decide on whether or not you're one of those people that really need this sermon. But I do think it will have application for all of us as we look at this story today. I think that it will apply to each and every one of our lives. And partly I believe that because There's this interesting thing that I've kind of overlooked in the stories that we've looked at so far in this series. In fact, two out of the three sermons I've done contained, the stories in those sermons contained this thing that I want to bring to your attention now, and that is is temptation. Uh, In the story of Joseph and his his, uh, being sold into slavery in Egypt and being in prison and rising to be second in all of command in Egypt. There's, there's a story that I did tell but didn't, didn't talk about it much and that is uh, that the slave owner Potiphar, his wife uh, comes on to Joseph, makes a pass at Joseph and Joseph flees temptation. In the story of David, who who was a mighty warrior and, and then was forced because the king wanted to kill him to flee into the wilderness and, and hide out in a cave. In his story, we didn't even talk about this, uh, later, after the part we focused on in, in the sermon I talked about, that king Saul comes into the cave and David has the opportunity to kill him and take the throne. There's a temptation there, but David does what God wants him to do. I I think that 
that there's something that's really important uh, for us to understand and, and to think about in the midst of isolation. And that is this, Satan uses isolation for temptation. Satan uses isolation for temptation. The reality is that when we are isolated, when we are separated then from others, then there is more opportunity for us to be tempted to do things that we know are wrong, that we don't want to do. And ultimately, for those of us that are, are God-fearing, God-believing people, to, to do things that we know God doesn't want us to do. And today, we are going to look at a story of Jesus from Jesus' life where Jesus is isolated for a period of time and then Satan brings temptation. And here is my proposition for this morning. Responding like Jesus turns temptation into a demonstration of your faith. Let me say that to you again because I think it's so important. Responding like Jesus turns temptation into a demonstration of your faith. And so the big question is how does Jesus in the midst of isolation respond to the temptation that he faces? But before we look at that story, there's two things, two things that are really important to, to know before we actually look at the story that I, that I want to pay attention to this morning. And the first is that I am not even going to touch on the theological depth of the story that we're going to look at today. I almost feel bad for how, how little theological focus I'm going to have in this sermon. In fact, I would just say this, that this isn't even going to be the best theological exposition expositional sermon of this passage of scripture that our church has ever done. Matt preached on this story a few years ago and, and did a better job of, of taking things deep in a theological way than I will this morning. You can listen to that sermon by going to creeksidebiblechurch.org slash Jesus stories slash Jesus stories and I hope you'll do that. But today I don't want to focus on on the rich theological depth of the story but instead uh, on what an example Jesus is of how to deal with temptation, especially when we are isolated from others. The second thing you need to know is what happens right before this story, and that is that Jesus was baptized, and as he was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and then a voice came from heaven. The Father said in Matthew three seventeen, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Let me read that one more time. And you need to keep it in your head as we move into the temptation story. Matthew 3, 17. This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now we begin our story in Matthew 4, 1. And this is what we read. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, again, just before we kind of think about that verse, let me point out that Satan uses isolation to bring temptation. Satan uses isolation to bring temptation. But this is just a weird way to begin any story, right? Because it says the spirit led Jesus into the isolation in order that he might be tempted. It almost sounds bad. It sounds wrong. It sounds uh, like it shouldn't be in the Bible. But you need to know that the word tempted can also be tested. And it's interesting because biblically, this Greek word is used both ways for tempting and testing. And here's the reality that we know from scripture. God never tempts us, but he does test us. 
So you ask, like, what's, what's the difference, really? Spiritually speaking, especially, what is the difference between tempting and testing? And I, I would say it this way. Tempting is an effort to try to get somebody to do something bad, while testing is an effort to get someone to prove something good. Let me say that again. Tempting is an effort to get someone to do something bad, while testing is an effort to get someone to prove something good. I think about a test, and, and when we think about tests, we think about them in terms of school, and, and some of you have test anxiety, and the idea of, of doing a test is scary, and, and you think there's no way that that can possibly be a good thing, but stay with me here. Tests are meant to, even though we don't feel this way about them, tests are meant to prove how much we have learned and how far we have come. Tests are meant to prove how far we have come and how much we have learned. A temptation is an effort to get somebody to do something bad, but a test is an effort, is a, is a way of, of letting a person prove how far they have come, how much they have learned. Learn. When you get to the end of a social studies class and you have a bunch of questions on American history, you, you might think of that as like, like, oh man, I just have to do this in order to get through the class. But it is a way for teachers and, and really for school districts and, and, and really for the people that give out our degrees, right, to go, hey, this person has proven that they learned the things that they needed to learn to receive this diploma or whatever it might be. The life application commentary says this, and I think this is so important. A temptation in the hands of Satan becomes a test in the hands of God. A temptation in the hands of Satan becomes a test in the hands of God. In other words, temptation can allow for you to demonstrate your faith. Temptation can become a demonstration of your faith. The life application commentary goes on to say, that God doesn't tempt, but this, God does use circumstances to test a person's character or resolve with the intended purpose of promoting good ends. And further on, it says this, the father uses Satan's evil intentions to a good purpose. When we face temptation, if we will respond like Jesus, it becomes an opportunity for us to prove, to demonstrate our faith and how far our faith has moved forward. I know that usually when we talk about temptation, we only think of the, the negative side, the side that, that Satan has in mind, that he wants you to, to, to do bad, to do bad things. Things. And, and if you've given in to temptation, which every one of you have, then, then you know the guilt that comes with it and, and how you feel bad about it. What we don't often think about is the other side of that. When temptation comes, if we can withstand the temptation, if we cannot give in to the temptation, then we are in some ways demonstrating the incredible faith that we have. And we should, I think, be happy with the progress we've made when we learn to thwart to not give in to the temptations that come our way. Matthew 4, 2 says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, this is speaking of Jesus, he was hungry. This falls at a really good time because we've been isolated just a little longer than 40 days now and I, I think a lot of us are hungry. We aren't physically hungry, most of us. I hope that you're not physically hungry, but, but I think all of us are hungry 
in our souls. What are we hungry for? I think we're hungry for community. God created us to be in relationship with others, to be connected to others. And I think so many of us hunger for that right now. I think that we are hungry for activity. I think God created us to be active beings. And and right now there's an inactivity that I believe the devil is preying on. I think that we are hungry and man, maybe we never thought we would ever feel this way or think this way, but I think some people are hungry for work. God created us to be beings that work and to and that move his his creation forward. And, and right now, a lot of people can't do that, at least not in the ways that they feel called to do that. And man, I think a lot of us are really hungry for church. We're hungry for the presence of God that church brings. We're hungry for the relationships that church brings. We're hungry for the way that worship is different when we're together. And, and God made us, I think, to do, to do church and to be a part of church. And we are hungry for that. And here's a reality that I think any of us, uh, that all of us know, and that is that uh, when we are hungry, we are more susceptible to temptation. We, when we are hungry, we're more susceptible to temptation. This is definitely true physically, right? Like, let me show you a, a temptation that oftentimes hangs out on top of our refrigerator. Uh, this is one of my kids' Halloween baskets. It looks like it's Hudson's. And and, and after Halloween, and the same thing happens after Easter with Easter baskets, uh, we put the kids' candy on top of our refrigerator. And, and, and you know, I don't want to eat all their candy. And, uh, and I do okay at not eating all of their candy. But when I am hungry, when I am hungry and there's nothing in the house to eat and, and I look up there on top of our refrigerator and I see the little blue pumpkin and I know there's chocolate in it, then it becomes really difficult to not give in to the temptation. It is the temptation, in fact, and I eat all of their chocolate candy. Don't tell them uh, that I said that. Uh, and, and so here's the deal. Hunger, hunger makes us more open to temptation and giving in to temptation. That is true physically, but I also believe it is true spiritually as we lack community, as we lack activity, as we lack work, as we lack church, as we lack all of these things that we're hungry for. I think that it makes us more susceptible to temptation and it makes us more inclined to give in when temptation comes. As the saying goes, uh, idle's hands are the devil's workshop or an idle mind is the devil's workshop. I think I've heard it said both ways. And I think it's really important that we recognize right now that we are idle and we are hungry and it makes us more susceptible to temptation. So in Matthew 4, 3, as Jesus is physically hungry, we read this, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Satan attacks Jesus' hunger. I think there's something important there, but more importantly, Satan attacks Jesus' identity. Remember how Matthew 3 ended? God called Jesus his son. And now Satan says, if you are the son of God, if, if you are the son of God, he attacks Jesus' identity, he attacks it. And here's what's so clear, I think, from this story. Jesus' understanding of his true identity is what makes it possible for him to handle this temptation, to fight off this attack of Satan, to thwart this temptation. I would just ask this morning, do you know your identity? If you're a Christian, I think it's really easy 
to, to think of yourself just the way that everybody thinks of themselves. I, I think that as Christians, it's really easy to forget the identity that Christ has given us. And the Bible makes clear, especially in the book of Ephesians, that if you become a Christian, you take on an entirely new identity. It comes as you are reborn and come into a new life that is in Christ. I preached on this in a sermon series called Identity Theft a couple of years ago. And, and I just jotted down the titles of the sermons because in, in the titles of these sermons, you see all of these things that Ephesians puts forward as as being part of our identity who are in Christ. We are chosen and blameless and adopted. We are alive, we are saved, and we are family. We are sharers, we are loved, we are called and equipped. We are forgiven, holy, and wise. We are God's dearly loved children. I think what Satan can do to us is a whisper in our ears, you are not important, you are not chosen. He'll whisper to us, you are still guilty. He'll say, nobody loves you, nobody wants you. He'll say, you are unloved. He'll say, you don't really have a purpose. There's no reason for your existence. He'll say, you are not holy, you are still a sinner. He'll say, you're not wise. Is God really your father? Are you really his child? And when we begin to believe Satan's lies, it will make it virtually impossible for us to avoid to fight against the temptations that come. So much of the time when we give in to the temptations that Satan sends our way, so much of the time when we give in to temptation, it's because we have forgotten who we are in Christ and we are trying to fill voids left by our lack of understanding or a lack of remembrance of what God has made us by drawing us into a relationship with him. Now, let me just say something to all of you who are not Christians. I, I hope, I hope that you will think about it, consider becoming a Christian because of the new identity that it brings. I believe that all people were created by God. They were created with a purpose. They were created with a job. They were created and God declared them good. But, but each and every one of us have rejected a relationship with God by sinning. And God looks down from heaven and he says, I want to enter into a relationship with you and give you a brand new identity, a new and better identity. All you have to do is believe that my son Jesus died on a cross to save you from the sins that you have committed and then give your life to me. And I would hope that you would consider doing that because if you're not chosen and blameless and adopted and alive and saved and shares and loved and called and equipped and forgiven, holy and wise, dearly loved children, of God, if you're not those things, then you will give in to temptation to fill the void that, that is in your heart because you are not those things. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says that, that Jesus' sonship is not in doubt here and, and that even Satan is not, not trying to get Jesus to think that he isn't God's son. Instead, he is, he is calling Jesus to misunderstand what it means to be the son of God. He is twisting what it means to be a son of God. It's so interesting because Satan can even turn the beautiful realities into temptations. I know many people who, uh, maybe I shouldn't say that. I, I know that, that there's this idea out there 
that because we are forgiven, it means that we can sin. Paul was dealing with it, with it when he wrote much of the New Testament and, and that, that idea, that thinking still persists today. People say, well, if God will forgive me, then I can live any way that I want to live. If, if God will forgive me no matter what, then I'll just do whatever I want and maybe at the end of my life, I'll give him my life or I'll ask for forgiveness and then God will forgive me. It's a perversion. It's a twisting of our true identity in Christ. And it makes this next thing, the response of Jesus, so important. Listen to Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is written. Jesus will repeat this in response to each of the three temptations that Satan sends his way. And each time it's followed by a quote from scripture, from the Bible. Jesus is the perfect example of how to fend off temptation. And his biggest strategy as he is in isolation being tempted is to combat temptation with scripture. And really specific scripture that applies to the, the very temptation that Satan is, is pushing towards him and pushing upon him. And it tells me two things. One is you need to immerse yourself in the Bible. Perhaps there has never been a time when this is more true. You need to dive into scripture while you are isolated, maybe more than you've ever needed it. Or at least it's easier to recognize how much you need to dive into scripture while you are isolated. Immerse yourself in the word of God. Become a person that reads the word of God consistently, but doesn't just read it consistently, loves it and wants to learn from it and hear from God in it and follow it. That is key to fighting temptation. But there's this other thing. We need to be people who look for scriptures that help us combat whatever temptations come our way. You might say like, well, I'm not Jesus. I, you know, I, I didn't memorize the Bible. I don't know that Jesus had the whole Old Testament memorized, but, but like, I, I don't know that I have enough verses in my head. And so, you know, if I, I can become a person that immerses myself in scripture, but, but what about the temptations I'm facing right now? Well, here's, man, I think this is so important and, and just flows naturally from this story of Jesus facing temptation. You need to be a person that looks for the right verses that help you combat whatever temptation you are facing. When Satan whispers in your ear, are you really loved? Do this. Go to the word of God and find a verse that says, I am really loved and here's why I shouldn't do that. We need to be people that immerse ourselves in the Bible, but also we need to be people that look to scripture to find the right verse to combat whatever temptation we are facing. In Matthew 4, 5, and 6, the story continues. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now here's, here's something that's difficult. Satan will tempt us by twisting scripture. This is a quote from the Old Testament. Satan, here's Jesus' rebuttal. Jesus quotes scripture. And the second temptation, Satan quotes scripture, but he twists the true meaning of this scripture to tempt 
Jesus, man, that's rough, right? Like, how, what are we supposed to do with this? How are we supposed to handle this? We see this in, a, I think, a couple of extremes that exist in our world. Very different groups, I, I think, twist scripture and, and cause people, whether intentionally or unintentionally, to give in to temptation. Uh, statements like these in the first group, if you don't follow these rules, then God hates you. If you don't follow these rules, then God hates you. And it incites a hatred in people that is not biblical or godly. On the other side, uh, we have this. God just wants you to be happy. God just wants you to be happy. Do whatever makes you happy. Even if God in the word, in the Bible has declared that it's wrong, go ahead and do it because ultimately God just wants you to be happy happy. These are, these are twistings of scripture in order, and I think it's Satan's doing, in order that you might give in to temptation. Let me just be so clear, both legalism and liberalism, uh, not political liberalism, but theological liberalism have roots in twisted scripture. Let me say that again. Both legalism and liberalism have roots in twisted scripture. There's an example. Uh, this has been on people's minds lately because uh, Netflix recently released a show called Waco, but if you remember David Koresh in Waco, Texas, and he had a cult down there, and, and, and he had multiple wives because he, he didn't want people, the men, to be tempted, and, and he twisted scripture and said, well, I will take the burden, and, and I, will, I will marry your wives, and so he was the only one married there. That's a, that's a twisting of scripture, and we must, we must be careful we must be careful to apply scripture rightly to our lives. Now this, this puts a burden on you and, and it's one that I don't think people take very seriously. You must be a person that works to understand how to interpret scripture. You must be a person that works to understand how to apply scripture to your life. And, and I would say that, that you need to be a person that is consistent with how you interpret scripture and understand scripture. The reason I don't think that people take this as seriously as we sh as they should is because we've offered we've offered to teach this in the past and, and it's been really uh, underwhelming in, in the attendance. People have chosen to not come and learn how to interpret scripture but I think that if we're going to be people that that avoid temptation that don't give in to temptation then we need to be people that that understand the Bible rightly and we apply it rightly and I think we should be consistent in our efforts to do that if you want to talk more about that man uh, at the end of this sermon then just go to uh, creekside.me slash respond I'll make that pitch at the end but fill out the form there and, and let me know Matthew 4 7 the story continues Jesus answered him it is also written do not put the Lord your God to the test now I, I haven't worked all this out in my head and I I think that there's something there's something important here and I'm just gonna say it to you and maybe you can work it out even better than I have but I, I think there's an attitude in these scriptures, the, the scriptures that Jesus chooses to quote, I think there's an attitude towards God, towards the Father, that demonstrates why Jesus is able to, uh, to not give in to temptation. I, I, let me just take my best shot this morning. Uh, in these three scriptures that Jesus quotes, I think that in the first one we see that we must trust God if we're not going to give in to temptation. In the one that I just read, we see that we must, we must want to honor God. Don't put the Lord your God to, test. We, to the test. We must want to honor God. And then the third one, we'll see that we must, 
We must desire to worship God if we are not going to give in to temptation. I think, I, I think the heart behind the scriptures that Jesus quotes show us that, that if we're not going to give in to temptation, then we must trust God and we must honor God and we must worship God with our lives if we're not going to give in to temptation. Uh, responding like Jesus turns temptation into a demonstration of your faith. And so be a person that trusts God and honors God and worships God or at least wants to. Now, you'll see this last one in the last temptation. I'm gonna read it all together this time because I think there's a couple really more important things to learn about temptation before we finish. In Matthew 4, 8 through 10, it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Final and, and really important reality here is that, uh, that all the temptations of Satan in this story kind of prey on reality, on, on truth. Satan, while he's twisting scriptures, is also just twisting truth. I mean, think about this. Jesus feeds later in his story, the story of his life, he feeds 5,000 men plus women and children with just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. So he's perfectly capable, we would think, we would surmise from that, to turn a stone into bread. Jesus, near the time of his crucifixion, says that he could call down a legion of angels to save him. So can he not throw himself off the highest point of the temple and have angels save him? Probably he can. There's truth here. And the truth in the final temptation is perhaps uh, the most twisted of all for Satan. He twists it the most and, and, and it's probably the hardest. I mean, in, in Jesus' humanity, the hardest to deal with because here's the deal. Jesus is king. And Jesus will rule over every kingdom and nation and tribe and person and state. Not every person right now recognizes this reign, uh, even today, but they will eventually recognize the kingship of Jesus. And Jesus will rule and reign for eternity in heaven and he'll live with people that have acknowledged him, that did acknowledge him while they lived, that acknowledged his kingship and his reign and his rulership. All of this is certain. And here Satan is saying, look, I'll give you all of this. But we know Jesus is already going to have it. But what Satan offers here in this temptation is a shortcut. And man, it must be a tempting shortcut because it's a shortcut that takes away the cross. I've already told you that, that I would hope you would consider a new identity in Christ because Jesus came to die on a cross for our sins. Uh, the reason that he came to earth was so that he may suffer and die on a cross. And on that cross that I've already mentioned, he not only paid a very terrible physical death, but he, but he paid the price of hell quite literally. He took all of our sins and they were bore upon his body. The most agony the world has ever known was laid upon Jesus at the cross. And if you know the story, Jesus died on that cross and then he came back to life three days later weeks later he was ascended into heaven and he sits in heaven right now and he rules and he reigns 
But Satan says you can take away, you can, you can take away the hard parts and you can just have that kingdom, Jesus. Satan offers a shortcut, a bad shortcut that would have meant we could never enter into a relationship with God, a shortcut that, that, that would have meant Jesus didn't accomplish the work that he came to do, but a shortcut nonetheless. And I just wonder, as we look at this incredible example of Jesus, the perfect example of Jesus in responding to temptation, if maybe sometimes Satan tempts you by giving you a shortcut, not calling you to do something that is inherently evil or wrong, but instead just giving you the shortcut, or another way I think that we could see it is giving you the easy way instead of the right way. I think that sometimes it is wrong to do things because God doesn't want us to, not because not because they are sinful inherently, but because God hasn't called them to us, called us to them, excuse me. And I think Satan sits in heaven and, and God has the, the right way and the best way for us. He's like, hey, I want you to do this and do this. And, and you know somewhere inside of your soul uh, that, that, that there's the right and the wrong way to handle whatever situation it is. And Satan's just saying, ah, just take the easy way. Now look, don't hear me wrong. There is absolute truth and, and morality is not relative but universal. There are things that are both right and wrong, but there are certain things that I think are okay that become wrong when they're the shortcut, when they're the shortcut or they're the easy way towards even what God would have for us. And I would just say this morning, you should be aware of that temptation of Satan taking the shortcut or the easy way. And then we read in Matthew four eleven. then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Here's one thing that I trust that and that once this time of isolation is over, God will attend to you in one way or another. He will satisfy your hunger. Uh, we've seen a little about how Satan tempts us. He tempts us when we're isolated. Did it in Joseph's life. He did it in David's life. And he does it in Jesus' life. He'll do it in your life. We see that he tempts us when we're hungry, physically and emotionally and spiritually. We've seen that, that he tempts us when... when um, by, by praying on our identity. We've seen that he, he tempts us by twisting scripture and we've seen that he tempts us by offering shortcuts or easy ways even to things that might be good if we do them in the godly way. And we've seen how Jesus responded, recognizing his true identity and, and, and making sure that he responds with scripture and trusting, honoring, and worshiping God and not taking the shortcut, even if it's a lot easier. And there's this verse that I think is really important to finish with, two verses really. First, Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest talking about Jesus who now sits in heaven uh, talking to God on our behalf. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Jesus was tempted like you and he didn't sin. And you don't have to either. Listen to this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I saw this one anecdote of a college kid who basically summarized 1 Corinthians 10, 13 by saying, 
I don't have to give in. You don't have to give in. And if you don't give in, then the temptations that you are facing will be turned into demonstrations of your faith. Look, here's the deal. I hope that you will recognize how Satan tempts you and I hope that you will do your best to respond like Jesus. But I think it's really important that when temptation comes, we don't say, woe is me, this is terrible, I hate this. But we say, this is my opportunity to show myself, to show the world and to show God in heaven how far my faith has progressed, how much God has grown for me, how, how much God has changed me, how much God has done for me. This is an opportunity to show how far my faith has come. But that only happens if you respond to the temptation like Jesus. And so this morning, know, believe in your heart that if you will respond like Jesus to temptation, it will turn into a demonstration of your faith and how God has worked in your life. Let me pray that you'll do that. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you chose to come from the glories of heaven to this world full of sin, a place where Satan is working, he's active, he's alive, he's, he's, he's tempting God. You chose to come here in order to save us. And while you were here, God, you let Satan tempt you And I'm thankful that you did that, Lord, because of all that it accomplished in your ministry. But I'm also thankful because of what an example it is to us, God, and in our efforts to fight temptations, especially as we struggle with the isolation that we are currently facing, Lord. I pray, God, for all those listening, all those watching, God, that you would, would, by the power of your spirit, help them to respond to temptation like you did Lord, I pray that they would recognize their identity and I pray that, that they would turn to scripture and I pray that they would want to honor you and worship you and they would trust you. I pray all of these things would be true in their lives, God. And, and even as temptation comes, God, as temptation comes, draw these things back to their minds. God, for people that are actively currently giving into temptation, they've just been embracing sin, God. Satan tempts, they embrace it. I pray that this morning you would convict them, you would cause them to repent, and, and from this moment forward, God, they would do their best to act more like you, Jesus. Father, I pray for any person watching, listening, that has never accepted you as their savior, that has never taken on their new identity I, that you offer, the new identity that you offer, I pray that they would do that now. It won't be my sermon, God, it will be your spirit calling them and I pray that you would do that now, Lord. And finally, God, I ask that for each and every one of us that are your sons and your daughters in the midst of this isolation, I pray, God, that we would respond like you so that that temptation that comes, God, will be turned into a declaration and a demonstration of our faith. I ask these things in Jesus' name, your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, like I said in the middle of my sermon today, uh, please, if God has used this in your life today to, to impact you, if God's used my sermon, if he's used the words of scripture today to impact you in any way, please, please, please let us know by going to creekside.me slash respond and filling out the form there. Man, especially as it comes to temptation we should want as many prayers as we can. We should want the help of others if we need it, if we're struggling to overcome temptation. And, and so, look, if God's whispered in your ear this morning, here's a difference. Here's something that you need to change. Here's something you need to do differently. Uh, 
Tell God yes. Please tell God yes. And then let us know by going to creekside.me slash respond.